Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey friends, uh, this is Andre and you're listening to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. I'm here with Owen. How, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Just recorded a podcast on the Djokovic Nadal semi. Now we're back again to talk about the final and looking forward to it. Yeah, we were on fire because the Roland Garros was definitely fire and we we're excited about this. Um, and the topic right now that we're just going to focus on. And by the way, uh, we are going to do a more like holistic view on the, the tournament, but that's um we're fine we're just figuring out the details of that like we want to have like a special guest but uh we're not going to confirm anything right now but uh we are still going to talk about the tournament and obviously the women's tournament as well um but right now we just want to focus on Djokovic and his accomplishment at Roland Garros because it it does bear a little bit of a more impact uh in tennis history than the the women's tournament right now and obviously not that the women's tournament was bad probably some insanely good matches happen and i watched a few of them and honestly we're um we're blessed to 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 be able to watch those uh as well um but for now we're going to be focusing on Djokovic because he, his accomplishments are just kind of like a little bit out of this world at this moment and um yeah but we will cover everything else later um don't worry about it um but yeah the final that's mostly what we're going to focus on and the meaning of the win of the the winning of the Roland Garros trophy by Djokovic uh do you have any starting thoughts on that one um I mean if you want we can just get right into summarizing the match go ahead then (laughs) okay sure yeah so so the match started out interestingly a lot of people said that the first set was great like really, really great. And I thought it was good, but I don't totally agree because it took Tsitsipas exactly 32 minutes to win his first point on the return. Djokovic held to love three times in a row. And then Tsitsipas got his first return point at, um, it, like after on the 14th point that Djokovic served. Um, but Tsitsipas evaded a couple of break points early on. I thought he was playing very well on his serve. And, and then he started doing better, making inroads on the return. So we got to a set point at 5-4, which Djokovic saved with a 26-shot rally. He uh, raised his fist after. That was one of the very few reactions from him we saw in the first set. But then after that, um, and then after that, he broke and went up 6-5. But after that, he had a walkabout, got broken back. And then despite climbing all the way back from 4-0 down to um, 6-5 up in the tiebreak, Tsitsipas ended up winning it 8-6. He saved that set point with um with a forehand winner inside in, I think. And and it felt like a very big first set because it took over an hour. Um and Djokovic was a point away from winning it, but he didn't, and he was coming off that long semi. And so it felt like that might cost him, and it felt even more like that when he really didn't put up much resistance in the second set. Tsitsipas broke twice, flowed through it, won at six two. And at this point, I was thinking, like, okay, Djokovic just has nothing left in the tank now. Um Tsitsipas is either going to win this or th- in three or four, but Djokovic fought really hard to get a break of serve early in the third set. It was a, it was a long game at 1-2, two, 
with Tsitsipas serving, and I think Djokovic got it on his fifth break point. And after that, things got a lot easier. He won the third set 6-3. Tsitsipas didn't put up much resistance in the fourth. Um, and then it got competitive again late in the fifth. Uh, Andre, do you want to take over and talk about the very end of the match? Um, I feel like by the end of the match, the one thing that it kind of got clear was that, like, I mean, Tsitsipas definitely felt like he was like um, the one that didn't have any more like to to offer. Like physically, he, he felt like yeah. a little bit like out. Uh, he did have um, some treatment by the, I want to say the fourth set, um, but I don't actually remember. Clearly. I think it was right after the third set. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a uh, medical timeout. But it was just like an on court treatment that he received like really uh, briefly. Um, he definitely looked a little bit tired, even uh, if if not physically, at least mentally and emotionally. Um, there are some things that happened um, during the match, I believe. Uh, for Tsitsipas, um, but we can touch up on that a little bit later. Uh, that may have like have a little bit of an impact, um, but for it, it just kind of it was becoming clearer and clearer that Djokovic was going to be the winner of that. Like the first two sets, um, almost uh, just flew by, and Djokovic just like shook it off and went on to like take that as like a regular um, starting from from the get go and like winning three sets um, because that's exactly what he needed to do he couldn't afford to lose anything else otherwise he would cost him the match um the one note that i want to keep like um for i think right after this the second set djokovic took a bathroom break um and the one thing that i've been thinking about bathroom breaks and probably not so much medical timeouts i'm not entirely sure about that but like uh, bathroom breaks it's it's like a timeout like i feel like it's totally fair to use that as a tactic to like um put a dampener on momentum because i feel like it's something that you can do um it, it definitely sounds a little bit like um lame uh-huh uh in tennis like we are very like strict on like the the clock and things like that well not very but like we, we really like to to say that we are um yeah. people are, like players are, are um are alone alone on court but like i feel like most sports have um timeouts um and i think it's 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 something that you can use as a tactic for yourself even. It's like you just kind of step on the brakes for a little bit. And uh, um, I've seen lots of players taking bathroom breaks. And that's just my personal opinion that if you can, you should. Why Why wouldn't you? It doesn't mean that you're taking a coach with you to the bathroom. But like, right. I mean, that's my just my personal opinion. If you want to take like a breather or something. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I was going to say, I, I disagree with that, to be honest. I think if you have to go to the bathroom, then like absolutely go to the bathroom. But I think um, I think to go to the bathroom just to like take a break is, is a little bit iffy. Like, I don't think Djokovic did that. And it's impossible to know if a player really had to go or not without crossing some very serious ethical boundaries. Um, but I think... I, like Djokovic is a sporting guy, so I like I'm not doubting him or anything. Oh yeah, I'm not. And honestly, even if he did, like I've already stated in my opinion, I think it's a I think it's a fair conclusion. But I totally I am not something. It's not something that I'm gonna down this hill for. Like I feel like it, I can totally be convinced otherwise. It's just my my current opinion on this matter. Um, but yeah, moving on. Like if in terms of like Djokovic winning this match, um, he definitely felt far more superior. He. In the beginning, he felt a little bit... It definitely felt like Tsitsipas was up there with him. Um, and something happened, I believe, that we've discussed in previous podcasts. Uh, I believe it was even in the Djokovic-Nadal um, semifinal one or something somewhere before then. 
um, that um, maybe Tsitsipas just didn't, just couldn't maintain um, his incredibly high level to beat Djokovic. And Djokovic just felt like a giant on court by the end of that match and ended up taking the title deservedly. Um, and nothing to take away from Tsitsipas. Obviously, he played a great match, but he, it definitely didn't feel like it was his time. Because he didn't even get a chance to close his match out, like honestly, yeah. He didn't it, have a, in fact, he didn't even have a break point in the last three sets, and so it's yeah. it's it's almost hard to say that he was close to winning, uh, even yeah. though he did have a two sets lead. And and while well, it did get more competitive at the end. Tsitsipas saved a couple of break points to avoid going down five two, um, and he sa- he even saved a championship point in the last game with an unbelievable backhand winner down the line yeah. to push it to deuce. Djokovic had to rescue the game with two winners after that, just unbelievably clutch. But um, but yeah, it, it really didn't feel close. It felt like there was only going to be one winner, and it felt like that pretty early in the first se- in the fifth set because uh, Tsitsipas was like sort of staying in the match with low margin tennis. And at that point, Djokovic just wasn't making errors anymore. And it just felt like a matter of time before the break came and it, and it did come pretty quickly. Uh, and I think honestly, like it's surprising all things considered that that fifth set was as close as it was. And it's a credit to Tsitsipas, but there is no doubt who the better player was at the end of that match. Yeah. And you could clearly see uh, Djokovic getting better as the match progressed because he was not playing as well as he did against Nadal um, in the first two sets. Um, his forehand, he was, he, he probably was finding it a little bit difficult to like use his forehand against Tsitsipas because it was going um, cross court against Tsitsipas's strength, which is right. his forehand, uh, as opposed to like pinning Nadal in the backhand, which was kind of like the strategy. Um, like you, you don't want to give Tsitsipas that many forehands because he can dictate play from that wing very easily. Uh, so I feel like he kind of felt like a little bit under pressure from that from 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 that side of his uh, his game, like to to use his forehand, and he was uh, doing some bad drop shots as well. Like he he netted a few, and he was just not as uh, mentally there as he was against Nadal. Um, kind of felt like a little bit of like out of sorts in a few times, and he Joko smashed as well. Like he sent he his did. match right yeah. into the net at some point, and he was like, "Oh yeah, no, he's back." Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, and I think like even though it ended up being sort of a fairly straightforward comeback from two sets to love down, I think it shouldn't get lost that like none of the big three have ever won, had ever won a major final from two sets down before this. Djokovic had never done it. Um and this was against a top five player, so it's enormously impressive. Um in fact, before the twenty twenty Australian Open, Djokovic hadn't even come back from two sets to one in a major final. And now he's done both that and from zero two down. And it's amazing, uh, as old as he is, and against this quality of opposition, to do it as like straightforwardly as he did. Uh, and so I think that's something that's easy to forget about, considering that he wasn't really pushed that hard in the last three sets. But yeah, I think I don't think he was as good as he was at his best in the Nadal match, really, at any point in this final. Uh, the second set was what I thought was most alarming. He... He let it go like pretty quickly, um, which I thought was odd because, like after the semifinal, I thought his legs w- would have been groaning a little bit, and coming back from two sets down would be a really tall order. But he knew something we didn't, and it didn't end up being that tall of an order for him. So I think it ended up being a smart idea to sort of let that set go. 
uh, in the way he did. And credit to Tsitsipas as well, who played a very good set. Um, but yeah, it felt like quite a weird match. I mean, only one set was really competitive. Um, it felt like a bit of a lopsided five-setter. And I think I think it's going to be devastating for Tsitsipas because it was his first major final. He was a set away from winning it. Um, and he couldn't close the door. He wasn't really close to closing the door, to be honest. So, so I think like it's it's an amazing win for Djokovic. This mm-hmm. match was four hours and eleven minutes, like the semi, eight, like eight hours, almost eight and a half hours in two matches, is a lot of mileage to put on the legs uh, in the span of like forty eight hours. So, so that's incredible endurance as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a lot more thoughts about the semi than I did about this final. I thought. Like, neither player really played their best. Um, but, like, overall, it was still, I thought, a pretty good entertaining final. Yeah, I mean, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, the Djokovic-Nadal uh, match was more highly anticipated for several reasons, right? They already have a history. Um, the rivalry in tennis. I'm not sure if it's um, open era or all time, but, like, with the most matches played between the, the, two, um, the two guys. Um, and... When it comes to Tsitsipas, uh, it, it definitely feels different, right? Like it's not exactly like they're gonna have like the greatest rivalry of all time. It, it right. is almost feeling like a like a Federer Agassi type of thing, right? In which he was good, but he wasn't going down to the to the history books as one of the best of all time, right? Yeah, um, it was definitely the, a changing of a changing moment in which like a, a new generation comes and the older generation is like fading off. Although this time Djokovic didn't lose. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. He is. Or he's going to be around for a while longer. I think it, it does seem like that. And Tsitsipas sort of like ends now, um, not not ends, but enters the Medvedev club in which they lose to a big three after a five setter in a Grand Slam final. Yep. <laughs> um, Medvedev was also a set away from winning a, his first Grand Slam final against Nadal and he coming was, back yeah. from success to love would have been mighty impressive um yeah so i mean these guys are coming um but yeah i, I guess like uh, the golden era isn't the golden era for no reason it's like they keep proving time and time again that it's not because they played against the same opponents they keep playing against different guys like year in and out and winning against mostly everybody else um of course, Djokovic is not better than Kyrgios, who beat him like twice um, in a round two match or somewhere else. Right. But uh, obviously, Kyrgios is the goat. But um, yeah, exactly. Like clearly better than Djokovic. I mean, the law of head to head and tennis in general dictates that Kyrgios is a better player. So absolutely. Yeah, glad we got that sorted out early in the episode. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, it when it comes to I guess now that we're entering the goat debate, like the the meaningfulness of this title coming into Djokovic's hall now. Like I mean. Double career Grand Slam. Um, many are now coming to terms with, well, internally that Djokovic is, is the goat, is the goat, the greatest player of all time. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Like, I mean, you were when we did our goat debate last year, you yeah. were already pitching Djokovic, and I actually said Nadal. Yeah, um, yeah. I think um, like the consensus we came to in that one, like even though we sort of disagreed on who who we picked as the goat at that point. Like, I think we agreed that it was between Djokovic and Nadal. Like, those two were yeah. ahead of Federer. And I think I think that with this title, Djokovic has separated himself clearly from Rafa as well. It's it's tough to overstate how, how much this title means for his legacy. I mean, it's the double career Grand Slam, like you said, which none of the big three have had. And that has been seen as sort of like 
not not like the crown jewel, but something like really, really important for a long time. Like the French Open would be the most meaningful to Federer uh, and the Australian Open to Nadal, because if you get at least two at every major, that demonstrates like how well-rounded you are and that you can like beat players anywhere and do so multiple times. So now that Djokovic has this, and and it's been the toughest, like it's been harder for him to get this than it has for Nadal because Rafa is such a gatekeeper at the French Open that like it's a miracle if you can win it once with him around, let alone twice. And yet Djokovic has done just that. And he beat him on the way to the title this time. Like, and in doing so, he also set a bunch of other records because he had a pretty unreal run to the title. Like he was the first man ever to beat Rafa at the French Open from a set down. Um, he was the first man ever to beat Rafa on the way to winning a French Open title. He like uh, in two of his matches, he came back from two sets to love down, which I think hasn't been done since like 1948 or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty like history laden title um, to add to his trophy cabinet. It's it's massive, and with all of the other records that he owns, um, you know, like weeks at number one. Um, like Masters 1000s, which he, sh- he shares with Nadal, like leading head-to-head with both of them. I think he's got like the most top 10 wins and has like generally faced the toughest competition. Um, now that like he has this as well, like the Golden Masters as well, um, which like none of the other two are even close to. Double Golden Masters. Yeah, also. double Golden Masters. Yeah, and now that he has the double career Grand Slam as well, I don't see how you can possibly argue that he isn't the most surface balanced, surface versatile by far. And now that like the only meaningful record he doesn't own is the majors, and in that he even only trails by one. I mean, to me, like unless Nadal wins another Australian Open and like beats Djokovic in the process, which seems extremely unlikely. Like I think for now the debate is sort of settled. Um, I think with winning this title, Djokovic has created like the greatest resume um, of a male player of all time, and it's better than Federer's and it's better than Nadal's, and I think it's significantly better now. Yeah, I when I uh, in the other episode that we just recorded, I mentioned the definition is important. Yeah, because um, it's important to say that um, when we mentioned that the greatest uh, tennis player of all time, it bears saying that we're not necessarily talking about um, if we put putting them like with if they could play like a a match and they're a hundred percent of their ability like the, for the entire match, uh, who wins? I am. It's 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 still tough to say. It, it's possible that Djokovic would be the winner, but one thing that we know is that a hundred percent sure that the players of this era are, era are going to be the players of yesterday era. So like they're they're not going to be they're mm-hmm. like Abiran Borg is not going to beat Nadal um, on right. clay. Abiran Borg is not going to be um, Federer on grass, um, even though they have somewhat similar records, right? Um, Pete Sampras, you could maybe make a, a way for him to win like a, a Wimbledon title or two, like if you were playing nowadays, but that's not yeah. really the point. So we definitely have to um, understand the go debate within their own eras and who was the challenge for, for them and yeah. who were the best players of all time. And it, it definitely, one of the things that it, you cannot argue against is the fact that Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Roger Federer are most likely the most um, well balanced like well-versed players in all surfaces and who can challenge pretty much anyone and win in in any surface against anyone um so the fact that the goat has to most likely come out of one of them um and even if you're taking like the who plays the better tennis 
I would most likely still like be like, I'm not entirely sure. Like if Nadal is playing like his 100% best tennis and Djokovic was playing his 100% best tennis, I feel like his would be like a very, very, very close combat. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like consistently winning and being the greatest in, in terms of being a player who has achieved most against the most difficult opposition for so long, it it is gotta be Djokovic. Like, yeah, there's no tennis player in history that can. I mean, listen, the ATP side that can compare to Djokovic in in that matter. Like, everybody comes second. Yeah, and <laughs> like like the guy has no holes in his resume. Yeah, like if if you ask someone, even someone who's hopelessly biased, like why is Djokovic not the goat? Like, I guarantee, like argument number one will be he has fewer majors than Federer and Nadal. And then after that, like, what are you going to say? There's nothing left. Like, yeah, um, the only thing I, I can think he's a gold medal, but like, yeah, but like that, that's such a small individual thing. It's once every four years. Like, um, and I think also, yeah. So like when we're talking about the goat, like we are not talking about aesthetics or like visual appeal of a game. We're talking about like who has played like the greatest tennis over the course of their career. And, and yeah, I think like after this, it's, you cannot deny that it's Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in terms of even most iconic or most important, I think we would have to give that to Federer just because Federer has like probably the most impact outside of tennis and, and men's tennis. Uh, I think it, a little bit more than Djokovic. Uh, I know a lot yeah. of people that know who Federer, Federer is, but they don't know who Djokovic is. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's, that's Federer telling. sort of like ushered in the golden era of the ATP. Yeah. Like he was the first one. He was like the gold standard that the other two were chasing. Um, and I think... And, like, Rafa has some unique things as well. I think, like, he's Mm -hmm. the most, um, like, of the three of them, he's been in the most epics. Um, Like, he has a quality that sort of, like, um, pushes the level of a match up, like, almost relentlessly. He's been in a ton of classics with each of the other two. Um, Not that this is a point for, like, greatest of all time, but, like, they all have sort of unique things about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And, but, yeah, I think, like, when when it comes to achievements, which is what this debate should be about. Um, like it's just- When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Djokovic. Yeah, and seriously, like Djokovic would have a chance. If he could pull this off this year, it would be probably one of the most Herculean things um, in the history of the sport, which would be the golden uh, career slam, which... uh, if he wins, he could he he would have a chance to win a gold medal. And the, yeah, the gold the career, slam. the career, the career Grand Slam. Um, it, this would just be like a Grand Slam if he did it all in the same year. He's already got the career Grand Slam. 
No, but like as in like the 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 calendar year. At the, yeah, ca- calendar. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the calendar at Golden Slam would be right, right. And absolutely like, ridiculous. I, it would be like I mean, Steffi yeah. Graf's '98. So yeah, and, and like he's already won four in a row from like 2015 to 2016. Like some people, yeah. try to like invalidate it because he didn't do it all in the same calendar year, which is just bizarre. Um, but like I guess this could silence a few more of his haters. Um, yeah, and I think another thing is like not only is i think he's pretty clearly like the greatest now but like it it's gonna end up being even more clear by this like he's not done winning majors i think federer is pretty clearly done barring a miracle Uh, like rafa i think is gonna have to wait at least a year for his next one if he is gonna win another one because i think rafa is not gonna win wimbledon or one of the hardcore majors without a pretty kind straw um and now and even though i think he'll be the favorite at roland garros next year it's looking less likely than it was this year um, so Djokovic could end up with like, I don't know, 22, maybe 23. Uh, he's going to win probably more masters 1000s as well. Um, so yeah, I think he's just going to extend the gap from here on out. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of records are inside for Djokovic, even against like the, the female players, like who are, who have been setting absolutely ridiculous standards for, for a long time. I remember like when I started following tennis, like, uh, I ended up following like obviously like uh, the men's tennis first, and then I realized that Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova and and uh, Steffi Graf all had way more Grand Slams than Federer and, and beat Sampras at the time. Yeah, yeah. Federer was trying to break Sampras's record, and I was like, "This is absurd!" Right, so right. And titles. then you realize that like they're at eighteen, and and Graf yeah. is at twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. And now Serena Serena Williams is at twenty-three. Yeah. She also has a double career Grand Slam. And she has the triple. Medal. I think Graf has the quadruple, which is yeah. absolutely insane. It's, that will probably never be broken. Yeah, no, that that is just something that is out of this world. So, like in yeah. terms of goat of tennis, it's definitely in between those those women. Like Djokovic even come comes third uh, against those two. Yeah, so, I mean, I I don't think there's a need to compare because they don't play against each other. Um, so yeah, I think no. like you can compare, um like Serena and Graf or um, Everda Navratilova or the big three among each other, but I don't feel the need to compare across tours. But yeah, like if we're just going off like number of accomplishments, then yeah, like Serena and Graf are cut above everyone else. Oh yeah, no, I I definitely think it's a it's a it's a fair thing to like not necessarily um, sort of comparing apples to apples in a way, but like I feel like just in terms of the acknowledgement that um, just like when Andy Murray says male player, like right yeah no no, it's definitely important to acknowledge like we um we shouldn't say like Djokovic is the only person in history to achieve the double career like no it's obviously not true we we definitely have to add the uh we definitely have to add the uh the adjective like male player of course yeah for for a bunch of those things so it's just like it's just like a friendly reminder i guess yeah yeah and honestly it's it's a personal friendly reminder as well because um i can't i can't um I've been I've caught myself a couple times this week even saying like if Djokovic wins uh, he's going to be the only player in the open era who have a double Mm -hmm. career Grand Slam which is plain not true (laughs) right right Um, yeah and and I think it's good to catch those like um it like one of the most egregious mess up uh mess ups I've ever heard was um I was watching a rerun of uh the 2013 Roland Garros final between Nadal and Ferrer and um and Brett Haber was calling the match with Martina Navratilova and Nadal got to championship point and he was about to win his eighth Roland Garros and Haber just goes like, um, 
Like he has won Barcelona eight times. He has won Monte Carlo eight times. Like no one has ever won a Grand Slam eight times. And of course, uh, Navratilova, who's sitting right there, has nine Wimbledon titles. And um, and she was like really nice about correcting it. She just said like, no man, like two women have done it. Uh, and like didn't even name herself. It's like, how do you not know that, man? Like when someone is right next to you. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it's good, obviously, to make those corrections. Yeah, I, I like to imagine that maybe she showed a picture of her like trophy room, like to him, like two, oh, yeah, two women yeah. have done that, and like just show, like just like you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm surprised she's still willing to call matches with him, to be honest, because that like she's yeah. just way too nice. Never to love is way yeah. too nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, also a much better commentator than Haber, I will add. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's really good to 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 watch as well. Yeah, and, and yeah. Brett, if you're listening to this, like, sorry, but we're we're also correct, so. Yeah, no, you, you all have like a little bit of uh, a little hiccups here and there. Um, not all of us can be Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, so I, I don't even know like what else to say in terms of like the, this title. Like, I guess moving on. Uh, w- do you think Djokovic is going to because we, we, we cannot deny that there is still a chance that potentially Djokovic will never again win another Grand Slam, even though we can argue that this is a very little chance. As yeah. much as Nadal, probably there's a chance that he will never win a Slam again. So, like, um, what do you think are, are his chances, like, I guess, exactly, like, for the next few Grand Slams? And uh, um, I guess one is this question that I just asked you. Like, two, do you yeah. think he's thinking about it? and Or he's just, like, chilling with his Zoro Gao trophies for, for now? I think, um, I, I feel like yeah. on one level, he knows that what he just did, like, put him above the other two, probably mm-hmm. for good. So, like, I feel like he knows that, but I think he also still wants the major record to sort of prove to everyone that, like, he's the best without having to explain to them, like, oh, you know, like, I have 19 and they have 20, but it doesn't matter because of all these other things. Yeah. Um, so like for the casual fan, I guess. Um, I mean, I think his chances are very good. Like he's he's the favorite at Wimbledon, even though history says that he won't win it. Um, it's a, extremely hard to get a channel slam. He's never done it. He only had one chance in 2016 and he lost in the, th- in the third round of Wimbledon. But if he can recover physically, I don't see who's going to beat him at Wimbledon. Um, like in 2018... Nadal went god mode and still lost. I don't think he has that gear on grass anymore. In 2019, Federer got to match point, but he played a great match. Djokovic played sort of a lackluster match. I don't think those two things are going to happen simultaneously ever again. I don't even know if they'll play. Um, And besides that, it's like, who is going to take out Djokovic at Wimbledon? There's just no one in the draw who can do it, it feels like. So maybe if he has a really off day like he did against Query in 2016, but like if he plays his game, he should win Wimbledon. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that thing. I feel like Djokovic did prove to us that he had that he has enough of a physical like ability still to win, and his yeah. um, skills are all there still. So he can produce the shots. He can he can do spot serving. He can volley, even though it's not his the greatest parts of his, of his game. But right. he can do that. Yeah. Um, he can even rely on the smash if he ever needs to. Um, <laughs> Djokovic relying on the smash. I don't know about that. No, but yeah, like his like <laughs> if his baseline I mean, game is working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like grass has become like his second favorite surface. Um, it, it used to be clay. Um, in like the late two thousands. But yeah, I mean, I, I think mentally he should like that could be as big a risk as not recovering hmm. uh, physically because he just accomplished something massive. Like I think he said 
these have been like the the best 40 hours of my life or something. And I think it's tough not to put what he just did in like at least his top three of like career accomplishments Mm. or like majors he's won. And so I think it's only natural that there would be some catharsis from that and probably a bit of an emotional letdown like after the joy from that settles in. Um, But if he doesn't let that get to him or if he can avoid avoid it entirely, I think he should be in good shape. Yeah. Would you say that Djokovic w- could come into Roland Garros next year as the favorite above Nadal? That depends more on Rafa, I think. I think mm-hmm. if Rafa like has a bad year until then, yes. Um I think if he if Nadal like doesn't win a lead up clay tournament, like maybe. Um because now that Nadal has lost and that he's lost to Djokovic, if if like Djokovic looks stronger going into Roland Garros, I think it'll be easier to say like Djokovic would be the favorite above him. Because in the past, it just didn't seem like it was the case. Because no matter what their form was like, with the exception of 2015, going into Roland Garros, Rafa would end up beating him when they played. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I think assuming nothing goes wrong with Nadal, he will still be the favorite next year. But if he has like a dip, like reminiscent of 2015, then yeah, Djokovic would be the next favorite. Yeah. I feel like something definitely broke when Djokovic won this title and beat Nadal en route to it. Because yeah. it's like... Is all of a sudden Nadal seems a little bit more vulnerable on clay. Yeah, I, I mean it, it's obvious because his winning percentage there is now ninety-seven percent instead of ninety-eight yeah. um, percent. But but no, seriously, like I know, yeah, I, I, I'm sure Djokovic really like exercised a lot of demons by beating him because Nadal was just such a roadblock for him there. I I think like even 2015, Djokovic probably doesn't see doesn't take it face value. I think he knows that Nadal was not himself in that match. But this one, I think like. I think now, if they play again at Roland Garros, he will go in with a much, much more true confidence than he has in mm-hmm. the past. And I think that can only help him. And, I mean, we touched on this in our last episode. Like, Rafa is aging more visibly than Djokovic, like, in terms of their tennis. I mean, in terms of the hair as well. But, um, <laughs> but like, Djokovic is still closer to his physical prime. Like, he can still play these long matches more reliably than Rafa. And so I think the older they get, the more this difference is going to become pronounced. Like Rafa is going to age out of the top first. And so depending on how far along that process is by next year, like, yeah, Djokovic could be the favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, the reason why I say like Nandal seems more vulnerable or like something broke is just the fact that like it, it definitely looks like um, like little by little um, Nadal's um reign over uh Roland Garros like is is coming to an end and maybe it won't be Djokovic the next like uh king of clay that's going to be like um winning Roland Garros three years in a row um I would I could see um one of the one of the two winning Roland Garros next year but I'm not so sure about 2023 I think it could, yeah. we could easily like, see like, like a t- new team champion. or Tsitsipas stepping in at that point or yeah. um or, or Medvedev the new clay goat yeah. uh but yeah like it is it is interesting because it does make you wonder, like, can Djokovic win a couple more Roland Garroses now? Like, you assume that if they do it once, they can do it again. Djokovic has just done it for a second time. Um, if I think still if Rafa's not in shape, like, Djokovic is the next favorite. Like, Tsitsipas might have been one set away, but, like, he has not proven that he can beat Djokovic on clay or mm-hmm. in a major yet. Um Like, I think that is still far off. Like, even though their last two meetings in majors have gone to five sets, I think that required like lapses from Djokovic in both of them. And so I think like if he's on his game, he should still beat Tsitsipas in a year. Um, the year after that, who knows, or the year after that. But 
Yeah, like it, it will be interesting. I think a lot of people are going to say like, oh, Rafa's done at the French Open. And I think that's too dramatic. Like besides mm-hmm. the match with Djokovic, it felt like a normal year. I mean, he had lapses, but like, um, I mean, he destroyed Schwartzman at the end of that match and looked really, really good. Everyone had him as the favorite against Djokovic, I think. Again, assuming he doesn't sort of have like a disastrous dip in his career, if he plays Djokovic again at the French next year, people will still have him as the favorite, and rightly so. So, um, so yeah, I think like one one loss like this uh, for Rafa isn't enough for me to bump him down, especially because I think he played pretty well. This was not like a 2015 loss where it just looks like his game had fallen to pieces. I don't think that happened. Um, but I mean, yeah, you can't deny a shift is happening because. He won the tournament four years in a row from 2017 to 2020, and this year he didn't win it. So that's the very definition of a shift. But I will be curious to see what happens at the tournament next year. At the least, it'll feel a bit more open than it usually does. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see <clears throat> um, because maybe the shift isn't necessarily happening so much uh, um, at the very top of the game, like where Djokovic and Nadal sort of stand, and Medvedev is still keeping his uh, number two ranking. Um, yeah. And could have overtaken Djokovic, but like obviously, like it, yeah, if things like that, that had gone the way they they went, uh, I would imagine Djokovic would still be uh, Medvedev in the final, and probably even easier yeah. than Tsitsipas. Th- that's another thing, by the way. Like Djokovic picked up a lot of points by winning this, so like he's probably going to hold number one for a while longer. Um, yeah, like I-, I think he's guaranteed to hold it for like several more weeks now. Um, like he could presumably hit like 400 weeks depending on how much he cares about holding on to this and like how much he plays Mm -hmm. um and and that's another remarkable achievement yeah a 400 week would also make him the the number one with the most uh weeks and um like ever like male or female (laughs) right yeah because i think graf has that record with like 377 um and and i think serena is in like the 320s um but yeah i mean 400 weeks at number one that would be yeah that would be insane um and and against like and against the competition he's faced as well like some people will say like he had a bit of a weak period in like 2015 to 2016 which i don't know if i agree with but like a lot of those weeks were like 2011 i mean the tour the atp tour has rarely if ever been stronger than it was in 2011 and he was number one for like most of that year Mm -hmm. and uh like 2012 as well he had it for some of 2013 um I mean, like, for what it's worth, I think after Djokovic became number one for the first time, Federer was only ever able to get it back for, like, 20 weeks after that. Um, yeah, he's, like, it's it's very well-deserved. Mm-hmm, 100%. So, yeah, like, do you, would you imagine, like, maybe last question before I, like, close this one. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, Nadal would be on course to dropping more significantly into rankings like yes kind of i I think so i mean since like he's still on like a big streak of quarterfinals at the majors it doesn't feel like he's on his way out or anything yet but it does feel like he's getting farther away from winning majors i mean like he's lost the quarterfinals of the last two australian opens um but I think like I think it's still pretty early. He won the last U.S. Open he played, so I think how he does there this year will be a good barometer. He he's done very well at the last two Wimbledon's. He's played two semifinal appearances. Um, although 2018 was a very long time ago now. Um, so I think maybe wait like another major or two, and like if 
And if he goes out like in the fourth round or the quarters, then um, I might be able to talk about his decline a bit more. But it does feel like an edge has come off his game in the last two or three years. I think uh, physically he doesn't have as much endurance anymore. Um, I mean, this year he's been struggling with his serve since he had some back issues at the Australian Open. Um, and I, yeah, I think just like winning seven best of five matches in a row is becoming a tougher and tougher proposition for him. But I mean, he's still he's still number three. I, I could see him going down to like five or six in the next like year or something like that. But I don't think he'll fall out of the top ten or anything. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, maybe just one last note. I I totally agree with you, by the way. So I really have nothing to add. Otherwise, I would be talking about this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for my long answers. By the way, and that's just fine. It's a, I I love them. <laughs> it means that I can only just be listening. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, like I, one last thing about uh, I just want to mention Tsitsipas for a little bit because there's one thing that um Ivanish actually shared with shared with us like before we started this episode, um, which is. We don't know, obviously, the extent to which that uh, changed his um, the way that he played the match against Djokovic. But uh, he announced that um, his his grandmother passed away very shortly before he entered the court. Um, we don't know when exactly he got to know this. Maybe maybe he knew it like in the middle of the match, or maybe by the end of it. Like we don't really know. But like honestly, um, condolences, obviously, to Tsitsipas. I'm excited to see him play again. Um, soon um but hopefully he takes time to recover he really did seem extremely devastated after the the, the loss from, to Djokovic uh today um but I hope he bounces back and um he goes on better um eventually in the tournament maybe who knows next year it could be it could be his time yeah so, yeah. yeah I mean definitely condolences to Tsitsipas um our thoughts are with him and his family and yeah, I think he had a great tournament. He was a set away from winning the thing. It was his first major final. I think in many ways he did account well for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot of things right. He played this tournament very confidently, which I thought was impressive. He had an exceptional clay court season. You could argue that it was better than Rafa's as a whole. He won Monte Carlo. He made the final in Barcelona. He won Lyon, I think. And and then he made the final at Roland Garros. So, I mean, he he's dangerous on hard courts as well. I think grass there's going to be less pressure because there his return is going to be exposed more. But like he he's having a great year. He's really starting to close the gap between him and the top three players uh, in the world. So I, I'm very excited to see what he does next. And it was a lot of fun watching him the last couple of months. Yeah, especially that fantastic backhand down the line that he used to save match point. <laughs> the, the yeah, that was unreal. Like I I did not see it coming. Like when Djokovic serves out like major titles or titles or even matches that it's so rarely gets complicated. I couldn't believe my eyes when CC passed yeah. that shot. When he hit it, I literally just kind of like widened my eyes open. And I was like, well, that's a good shot. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. It, it so much that like, caught me by surprise. I didn't even have like an actual reaction for it. I was just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It was, it was amazing for more Tsitsipas and Medvedev on clay in the future and oh, yes. on, on every other surface. <laughs> yeah, like that that was a fun match. I mean, we won't get into it, but that that was one of the better straight set matches you'll ever see. Yeah, it was really good. And uh, next gen, so um it definitely gives us hope to the future that we're going to have some epics um lined up for us yeah. uh, for the next couple of years as well, even after yeah. the big three retire. So Yeah, Tsitsipas Medvedev starting to feel like a real rival right now. Um now that CC Boss has gotten a big win. So yeah, excited to see more of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for now, 
Novak Djokovic is still very much on top of the world and it doesn't look like he's eager to leave anytime soon. So yeah, hats off for this astonishing achievement for him. Yeah, definitely Djokovic feels like he he definitely thinks that he has some some things to achieve still before he ends his uh his time on court. So mm-hmm. and before he ends his time on court, we're going to end this episode right here. Uh and uh, thanks Owen for um sharing all your thoughts and your long answers. I like I like them. So keep <laughs> yeah, them coming. Yeah, of course. Thank you for letting me ramble on. Uh this this was fun as always. Um and especially cool to talk about like history being made. So yeah, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, same. And thanks thank you all for listening. Chat with us on t- on Twitter. We are at Tennis and Bagels and Owen's at Tennis Nation. I'm at 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 Rollenberg Andre. Why do I stumble on my words so much? Maybe it's late. Um, but it is late. And, yeah. yeah. And Vansh, who shared us the news of uh, Tsitsipas's mother and so much more. Um, not mother, grandmother. My bad. Um, he is at Vansh V2K. Um, follow him. He does have some really good stuff on, on Twitter like all the time. Yeah, like um, crazy stats. He puts a lot of time into them. He was like probably the most dedicated tennis fan you will have ever met. So definitely give him a follow. Yeah. And that will cover it all that we had for this episode. Uh, remember, we might we will still um, do a podcast about like the women's tournament and the men's tournament in a more holistic view, like covering the whole two weeks and talking a little bit more about all the, the other players. Um, but um, for now, that's what we had to say, just because the achievement was just, uh, we couldn't just pass on it. So yeah, again, thanks, Owen. And uh, thanks all listeners. And that's it. See ya. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 